G'day everyone. Welcome to another episode of Work Experience Podcast. This week, I'm going to clear up a few things and get a few things off the chest. Ideas or issues I've had that don't quite require a full episode, but I think you, the audience, would be interested. And we're going to start with this. If you own a cafe and someone comes in and orders a decaf dirty chai on soy milk, you're allowed to ask them to leave. Yes, hi everyone, Braden French here. Welcome to another episode of the podcast. Now, it's just me today, no guests, and I thought I'd take the opportunity for a bit of a spring clean, tackle a few ideas that have been floating around that I've got something to say about, but uh, maybe not a whole episode. So uh, let's see where we land. Uh, And as a tease, late in the episode, we're going to jump into the library. We haven't done that yet this season, but I got a book while I was in Queensland. I flicked through it this morning over a coffee, and we're going to see what it says about The Myth of Balance, written by Frank Beeler. So that's coming up later, if you can stick around. Now, I thought I'd offer some unqualified advice about the coronavirus pandemic, the COVID-19 situation we find ourselves in. Why? Because everyone else is. And this might uh, increase our audience reach. Who knows? But people, we've got to take stock. There's a lot of information, a lot of misinformation out there. I've really enjoyed some recent updates regarding the factual scientific reality. And here's a few ideas that have been kicking around that have tickled my fancy. Scientists have warned us that if we don't take care of ourselves, we are at risk of catching this flu-like virus. Scientists also warned us that if we don't take significant action on climate change, the world will be unlivable in the next 30 to 50 years. So what did we do? We went out and bought a lot of toilet paper. Friends, that's embarrassing. That's what I call the turd mentality, not the herd mentality. Friends, I heard that people have been stockpiling hand sanitizer. Now, I'm not sure how that helps because the idea is that we want everyone to be uh, safe and clean. And if you buy it all, the people who might have the virus can't access the hand sanitizer, making it more likely that you will catch it. That is the turd mentality, not the herd mentality. Friends, wash your hands. And that's all I have to say about that. Last week, I was lucky enough to head up to Brisbane for the Amplify Summit and Conference, a fantastic two-day event put on by a bunch of different churches and organizations in Brisbane. And little old me had a small part to play in chatting with some leaders and practitioners about adolescent mental health. A real thrill to be up there. Also a thrill to meet some of you who came up and said hello. That was quite overwhelming, really. Great to meet you all. But what stuck with me was a chance conversation I had with a lady who's been working in the medical science field and is really passionate about the health crises that pornography represents to adolescents today. And that got me thinking about this podcast. You see, I think we've tackled some issues that aren't necessarily getting the airtime in our church conversations that need be. But I admit that in our production meetings and research planning meetings and retreats, 
there's been certain issues that we've shied away from. Porn is one. Uh, sexuality and identity is another. Not because we don't think they're important, but because we either feel ill-equipped uh, or that it might divide our audience. Well, I apologize for our hesitation. And over the coming weeks and months, we're going to tackle some of these issues. We're going to get on some guests. We're going to do some research. And we're going to try and provide some accurate, helpful information about these issues with a view to how churches and youth ministries might be able to have healthy conversations around these issues that are affecting young people all over our country and all over the world that the church isn't talking about. If you have ideas about the these sort of issues, if there's something you wish we could talk about or have a conversation with you about, uh, get in touch. Workexperiencepodcast at gmail.com. Again, we apologize that we've shirked our responsibility in some of these areas, but we will be going beyond what we're comfortable with in the pursuit of creating healthy communities and helping young people flourish. And that's all I have to say about that. Now's a good time to check in with the news. Yes, thank you, Braden. Over here at the news desk, a couple of things we wanted to draw people's attention to. Of course, Surrender Conference is on the horizon, just a week and a half away at the time of recording up in Belgrave Heights. Not too late to grab a ticket, surrender.org.au. Some amazing international speakers, some important conversations about shalom in our communities and in our world, and two Surrender Up Late live podcasts. Now, we will be releasing them as audio files, but nothing beats a live filming of Work Experience Podcast exclusively at Surrender Conference this year. Some of the keynote speakers and some lesser-known voices are going to join us. There's going to be some spoken word poetry on the Thursday night. And our friend Sione Hehepoto is going to be performing live on the Saturday night. Can't wait for Surrender Conference. Make sure you can grab a ticket, get along, say hello, be part of it. Uh, We're also excited to be heading to Hobart in April for their Presbytery Youth Camp, the middle of April in the school holidays down there, Wednesday to Saturday. We're going to be down there. We're going to take the recording studio, meet some of the folks from across the Dutch. Can't wait to join them down there for an exciting camp. That'll be heaps of fun. There's more things coming up after the school holidays. There's a training weekend that the Summers Camp crew running on. That's at the end of April. Make sure you can be part of that. So much more. We will let you know here in the news section, the front page of Youth Ministry in the Uniting Church. Now, I know none of our listeners are on Facebook because you're all under 50. But if you are on Facebook or if you're looking at your parents' profile, you will have noticed a fairly regular pattern of conversation that emerges anytime someone posts about a leadership gathering in the Uniting Church. Someone will invariably ask about who's in the room. Now, sometimes it'll be about women. Sometimes it'll be about representation from migrant communities, and sometimes it'll be about was anyone under the age of 50 in the room. Now, these are all valid questions, 
And I'm going to take a particular angle here because we're a youth ministry podcast. So I'm interested in the conversations around young people in the room. Now, these conversations on Facebook, invariably someone will ask, oh, was any young people there? And then a boomer will get on and be defensive about it. And then someone will say, we don't have representation here. We want the right people here. And then someone else will argue about what young means. And someone will say, well, they've got experience. And I wanted to address these conversations because you might be surprised to know I've got an opinion. Now, first, I want to say to church leaders, if a young adult or young person is asking if they can come to a church meeting, it's not because they're suffering from FOMO. They have a million other options to do. They want to come to the church meeting because they care about this church in the same way you do. They're not sitting at home wishing that they could fill up their times with committee meetings and presbytery meetings and leadership forums. They have a vested interest in this future of the church the same way you do. I also want to question the assumption that we hear from the same voices all the time because they've got experience. Yes, their experience is valid, but their experience got us to where we are today. Is that the experience we need as we look towards the future shape and culture of our church? Or do we need to hear different voices? And finally, I think it's important who's in the room. I've often said to people that in the Uniting Church, we believe that the way we make decisions is just as important as the decision itself. It's why we have these processes that are confusing to the outsiders and sometimes slow. We want to make the right decision at that time. But I want to add to it, and here's the challenge. Who makes the decision is just as important as the way the decision is made. If we only have certain demographics in the room, then we aren't hearing all those voices. And yes, that will mean that some people will have to step down. But you know what? We're really overcommitted with these committees anyway, so you'll find another place to serve. And if you've been sitting at these tables for 30 years, it's probably time to stop. How old were you when you started? That's right. Give an opportunity. Step aside. Because if a young person wants to sit on one of these committees, that's strange. That's bizarre. And who are you to say no? And that's all I have to say about that. On a similar vein... I think one of the issues we need to face up as a movement, the Uniting Church today, is we have a crisis of trust. Now, we think it's a crisis of leadership or discipleship, but I think we struggle with trust in the Uniting Church. And let me explain what I mean here. Last year, I did some research as part of a conference uh, paper in New Zealand, and I had the luxury of going back and reading not just the basis of union, but some of the documents outlining the process by which the basis of union was constructed. Now, granted, it was a bunch of old white men making decisions about the future of this church, something we haven't necessarily moved on from. But Andrew Dutney wrote a commentary about this process, and Andrew rightly pointed out that the thing that held together the gaps was trust. Andrew wrote about how The basis of union doesn't refer to everything, but the implication was that that was the spirit by which they all joined into union 
and trust held them in good fellowship. I think today we've let go of trust, which means that we are holding things tighter, that we feel like we have to defend our version of orthodoxy, that we have to be at every table, that we have to know exactly what's going on at every level so that we are informed and we know that what we think is best is happening. We've lost the capacity to trust our brothers and sisters that they will discern the will of God. We seem to be far more interested in ensuring that they discern our will of God. And that is a challenge, and I think that is the real issue at play as we seek to be a church moving with society, responding to the will of God into the 21st century. How do we get that trust back? I'm not sure, but I think we have to name it. I think we have to put in place practices and limits. We have to experiment and we have to prayerfully rely on each other, demonstrate trust. It will require risks. It will require people going against the grain. It will require people giving up their voices, giving up their seats, letting go of responsibilities in order that others might participate, in order that we might discover anew the direction that God would see us go. And that's all I have to say about that. One final comment on this rant is if you are a young adult or a young person who is invited to the table, who is given the opportunity to speak, take it seriously. Now, don't try and sound like you are an old person. Don't try and imitate the voices you have heard. Bring an authentic voice, but be prepared. Read the papers. Do your research. Know the people in the room. Know the agenda. Do the background. Participate fully and meaningfully so that your voice might be considered, so that your vote might be weighted, so that you will represent uh, with courage and conviction the image, the values, and the vision of this emerging generation. Don't take the lazy option. Don't just fill your time with memes, but impress upon the people at the table that we have a vision and a dream for this church that they can trust, that they know that their legacy will not fade away as their membership does, but that we will continue the rich tradition from which we have inherited as we seek to move forward. Please go, go to those meetings, be part of those conversations with courage and boldness, knowing that you are exactly the right person to be at that table. Let's all go to the library. Yes, friends, the library section is back. A highlight of earlier seasons. And I apologize that we haven't spent much time here lately. But when I was in Brisbane at the Amplify conference, I was given a few books. One was uh, the Growing Young Green Book, which we have talked about before. And we've even had one of the authors, Jake Mulder, on the podcast. I think it was around episode 28. I know that because while I was listening to him, I thought, we should get Jake on the podcast. Then I realized we'd already had him on the podcast. And so I encourage you to go back, have a listen uh, to Jake's take on growing young. Uh, But another book I got uh, was called The Myth of Balance. 
thriving in the tension of ministry, work, and life with the When This, Then That leadership formula, written by Frank Beeler with a foreword from Kerry Newhoff. Oh, that's a good get. Uh, now, this book was highly recommended, and I was interested in it partly because it's a short book. I read it over a coffee this morning, but a lot of people spoke highly of Frank's work, and apparently he was at the summit a few years earlier, and so uh, not having come across his work, I thought I would grab it, have a read, and then share it with you on this week's episode. I also have to admit that this is something I really struggle with. So many of my conversations with my wife and my family are about, I'm sorry that I will miss that, or I'm sorry that I got that wrong, or I'm sorry I'm late. So I actually turned to this book thinking that I might discover the silver bullet. I'm not sure I did, but I definitely uh, found some helpful strategies to do that. Now, uh, Frank does some early work in setting the scene and sharing some pretty uh, honest and brutal stories about the reality of, his, in his case, parish ministry, but I think it extends to uh, anyone in church ministry. And he, one thing I really appreciated was he outlined the four typical responses to exceptional interruptions in your work schedule. The first was the always open approach. He suggests that these people simply leave so much margin in the day for whatever may occur. They may be completely ineffective in the day-to-day -day routine, but when something pops up, they can respond quickly. I'm not sure that's going to work, but they do seem responsive. The second approach was the highly caffeinated approach. They, these people run as fast as they can for as long as they can, and eventually they crash one day, but that's probably not a big deal as... Enough caffeine will pick them back up off the ground and their health as a leader is not as important as the effectiveness of their ministry in the near future. Uh, Frank comments that this is highly, uh, highly common and as I was drinking my coffee, which was my third of the day and it was 11am, I couldn't help but feel that maybe Frank was talking to me. Uh, the third approach uh, outlined here was the snappy approach. These people resign themselves to a life of frustration and stressful conversations with their spouse and friends as they struggle with the impossible schedule of ministry. These conversations require them to find a way to explain why that is just as important as that and that that's what kept them away from the things that perhaps matter most. Any of those resonate, friends? Yes. Now, so Frank suggests his... When this, then that approach to managing your schedule and achieving balance. And he gives a few keys to how this might happen. And uh, I'll share them with you. Obviously, the book goes into more detail. The first one is that the when occurs randomly but often. So essentially, he's saying you need to have rules in your life for when something happens, there's a consequence. For example, when you work late, you head in late the next morning. Or when you get a pastoral call, then you eat chocolate. He suggests that the this should be specific. This is key number two. So don't just say, oh, you know, I'll take a day in lieu, but actually plan that out. Give yourself specific consequences to whatever uh, exception or extracurricular 
thing you're committed to. Number three, he says that this requires deliberate action to seek balance. You have to be committed. You have to work hard. And that flows into number four, where you have to, uh, this requires accountability with colleagues, mentors, close friends, ministry staff. Uh, You need to communicate that you're trying to achieve this. Number five, it must be helpful. So perhaps my chocolate uh, reference earlier doesn't satisfy that. But it must uh, be productive, helpful, positive. And number six, set yourself up for success. And number seven, no ifs, ands, or buts. Be committed. Now, the book is called The Myth of Balance. And I admit that after 16 years in ministry in various capacities, I'm the least qualified person to talk about balance. There are certainly seasons where I can see that I've done that better than others. But if not for the grace of God and the patience and forgiveness of my wife, I would be single and unemployed. So that is not an excuse to not seek this sort of balance in scheduling. And I also want to warn against making balance the goal uh, because we we want to have productive ministry. We want to form disciples. We want to respond to the love of God and we want to do that in a balanced way. So let's keep it in perspective. But Frank's book definitely has some practical tools and some really solid examples from real life practitioners on how you might be encouraged uh, to achieve greater balance uh, or If you are one of those people that has achieved great balance, why don't you let us know? Go to our website and fill in the phone a friend section and we might be able to phone you from our Whizbang podcast studio and have a chat to you about it. You've just got to put in your name and phone number and say something about, uh, yeah, I've got pretty good strategies and we would love to hear about them. We would love for any of our listeners to get in touch and be part of future episodes. A few of you have filled out the form And once we get through the crazy, unbalanced nature of preparing for surrender, we will be sure to feature some of those phone calls in upcoming episodes. And that's all I had to say about that. That brings us to the end of this week's episode. It's been good for me to get a few things off my chest. I hope that some of them resonated with you. Uh, If you know someone who might be sharing those frustrations... Why don't you let them know about this episode? They might uh, find some comfort in having a listen or they might be challenged by the things I say. Thanks again to Forrest Gump for dropping by and giving us a bit of encouragement to move the show along. That's it for this week. Friends, you have completed work experience. (laughs) 